Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Rorag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Govins. This is episode 28 of the Raw Ag podcast. My guest is Ollie Lalive, an agricultural enthusiast. He is content marketing manager with Auctions Plus, but many of you will know of him from Humans of Agriculture, a platform looking to connect people to agriculture through understanding their influence on food and fibre systems. Welcome to the Raw Ag podcast, Ollie. Thanks, Tom. It's good to join you. I've been an avid listener for a little while and was just listening to Wags talk recently, so great to be here you know you've got to be careful listening to um one podcast one host podcast you get you i start i'll start to alter your mind the way you think <laughs> oh at least i'm learning <laughs> something then so yeah that's the risk well, hopefully we're spreading up enough information so that it's you know diverse enough for everyone to get a good, good cross-section of opinion about egg but anyway that's all that's one of the responsibilities of a podcast host as which you are as well yeah, no, it's, um, I think, a fascinating kind of seat to be in, isn't it? You kind of get to explore your own curiosities through other people and take your audience along with you. So I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if there's right or wrong ways to do it, but I think as, as the host, if, if you're genuinely interested, I think that kind of comes across as well. Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure that we should be talking about, you know, cures to COVID, you know, in, in um, um, some of the, uh, horse trenches and things that, you know, if you um, use those, then COVID won't affect you. I think that's probably a dangerous area to go into. So I certainly don't agree with any of that rubbish. Um, I think it's probably best to talk to your doctor about illnesses rather <laughs> than listen to podcasts. Um, anyway, whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm in Sydney, Tom. So I moved up to Sydney from sunny Melbourne um, in March of this year. So I went from an extended lockdown last year into one up here this year so uh, so you did you just love them you went from melbourne to sydney yeah i just thought i'd see how sydney did it so i just yeah i think <laughs> you, unique view on how different states handle it <laughs> yeah, fair enough and um and it is being handled a bit differently up there but i'm we're not going to talk about all that um so you've um yeah, you know the last 12 18 months um launched humans of egg of egg sorry I guess, yeah, officially I started doing it back in um, April of 2019 and I started it just as an Instagram page where I wanted to share written stories of people working kind of across agriculture and just explore the diversity that exists um, and just see kind of how, how agriculture shapes the world around us through understanding people. And then I guess the natural growth of it, I'd always thought about a podcast and then in about January of, of last year, I thought, I'm going to jump in and I'll, I'll reach out to a few different people. And the first person I ever interviewed was Mark LeBroy, a chef. And kind of from there, I'm, I sat on it for a little bit. And then, yeah, March came around last year and I thought, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to launch the podcast. And I guess once that started and I got a bit of a, a shove from, from a, a mentor of mine to get things going, um, it, it kind of just eventuated from that. And it's become 
a weekly podcast and as of this morning launched episode 68, which has been really cool. Well done. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, what um, you want your audience to get from Humans of Egg. It's an interesting one. I guess for me, what I really wanted to do, I wanted to understand more about the agriculture industry from the people involved in it. And I guess I, I'm fascinated, like I grew up in Sydney, which we might touch on, but I grew up in Sydney and I guess came into agriculture where I could kind of create my own career path and explore different opportunities. And so I've worked across horticulture. I've worked in um, tech startups. I've worked on farm as a jackaroo and then kind of, yeah, in livestock and cropping and now working more in, in the corporate side. And kind of the whole way I was meeting fascinating people, but there was no one really connecting. And, and just I think it's something that no matter who you meet in agriculture, everyone's got a story of some sort and there's a real opportunity to kind of celebrate the individuals and who people are and, and what they do and kind of why they do it. Yeah, that's good. Well, Macca does that on Sunday morning, of course, on the ABC. Not that I listen to that any well, much. Occasionally I get on the car and I might hear it. But, but, um, it's not quite, it's a bit more uh, tech than that, isn't it? It's a bit more uh, into the nitty gritty, I suppose. I get, I think the that's thing- sort of a more of a, that's sort of a more of a cultural program, isn't it? Whereas this yours, and yours is a cultural program as well, but um, I suppose I've, you know, I've seen examples of pretty fascinating stuff that um, you've, you've found and got, got onto, onto the air. So, it, which is great. It's an interesting one. Cause you kind of, I think we, we constantly see when you're involved in different industry events, the same kind of people popping up. And once you start to dig a little bit deeper, you start to come across the just extraordinary people in the industry. And for me, like I, I set the goal starting off that I wanted to go and interview 10,000 people working in agriculture because I thought I'll, I went, went to Marcus. I looked at kind of how many friends I've got on Facebook and I was like, oh, I think a thousand's probably, a thousand's achievable. It would take a bit of time. 10,000 will crap, you gotta, you got to really commit yourself and, and pull something out. And so I thought, yeah, if, if I can go after just having conversations of 10,000 people, um, I, I'm going to learn a whole lot about the industry, but so will my audience. And, and I guess how I approach each conversation is something particular about the individual that I want to understand. And there's a question, there's something I, I really want to understand more about them. And, and that's kind of the approach I've taken to it. So, um, you know, without ranking your podcast, what's some of the great interviews that you've done and really, really, you've personally got a lot out of and you obviously if you get a lot out of it personally, then your audience will as well. What are some of the really good ones? Yeah, I think the first one I'm really proud of, I think I started off, I didn't have a microphone, I didn't have a headset. I actually had no idea what I was doing. I just hit record and, and started talking. That was with Mark LeBroy. So Mark's a chef or one of the co-founders of Three Blue Ducks. So they're a restaurant in, here in, uh, mm-hmm. in Bronte in Sydney. They've got the farm in Byron Bay. And they were basically looking at 15 or 20 years ago, how can they be true to who they are with the food they serve? And I think what was really fascinating about Mark is he, he was saying it's kind of a, a shit in, shit out system. So what, what they want as chefs is really highly nutritious foods, which then allows them to then add flavors and really create amazing experiences, I guess, for, for the consumer at the other end. But there's this, this shifting narrative, which they, they kind of actually began before it got trendy. And that was about yeah, sharing with people where it came from. And so they had a beehive out the back of their um, restaurant. They had vegetables growing. And so they're actually able to take the customers out, show them. 
that's a fascinating one. And then I think um, Georgia Beatty, she, she was another person who I got in touch with. Georgia came from a, a tech background. Um, she'd started her own kind of wine business, but she's someone who is incredibly innovative, true to who she is, and is now running Australia's largest organic mushroom farm um, from, from running a tech company only a few years ago. And I think that's probably the what such an exciting thing about agriculture is now that the way the industry is moving it, you don't have to have been bought into farming to be um, or to, to build a successful career. And there's people like Georgia who's absolutely just yeah coming in with new ideas and fresh approaches and and really transforming how we produce food in Australia. Yes, yeah, so, um, I was actually on the last podcast I did with. Um, Lewis Frost, we talked a little bit about um, the amount of um, youth that's being injected into ag. And I don't know whether that's just because I'm getting older and everyone's getting younger and it seems that way, but I'm pretty damn sure that in the last 15 years there's been an ex- uh, a sort of an increase in enthusiasm from your generation and younger now to um, get involved in ag. And you can see that in the universities full um partly i suppose because of the job opportunities is huge and um but also it's it it's got some sort of romance to it now isn't it i agree i think i think as well so maybe 10 years ago geez, i'm sounding old here tom 10 years ago when i left school <laughs> um like we didn't we didn't have iphones or, or anything like that and then um when i went and joined the ag live a, a tech startup we were using iphones to track um, produce or pra- track beef from inside the farm gate across the supply chain. That was six years after finishing school. And so I think like a six year period, all of a sudden, like things are transforming and moving so quickly. If I look at where I am now at auctions plus, it's not just ag science degrees or ag economics degrees, which are needed in the business. Um, we've got on one side of the office, we've got a software development team who have some of the most incredible skills that what they can do and how they can turn things around is extraordinary. On the other side, you've got market operators assisting people like yourself to run sales. And then in the middle, we've got uh, people in sales and marketing backgrounds who, who didn't necessarily find uh, study agriculture, but they've found, found an industry which actually has a purpose behind it. And I think that's probably the thing amongst my friends and, and something that I've been exploring is it, it's really finding purpose in what you do as a job. And I think we're kind of finding that and, and we're really starting to see that come through in agriculture. And uh, yeah, I think it'd be remiss to say we don't have a lot of challenges kind of fronting us that latest IPCC report on climate change. It's a confronting future that we face and kind of in the next 30 years, it's my generation, which will be in those box seats running the largest companies and today's probably largest polluters. And, and it's a future which we don't want to inherit. Um, and I think we're starting to get pretty active about how, how we um, as 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds and even teenagers coming through, how we want to see the future. Um, and I think that's something pretty powerful and where ag gets so exciting. Yeah, so, um, and, it, and that's, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about being in ag because one of the fundamental basic things that I enjoy is that I actually produce something from nothing or from sunlight, energy, water and minerals in the soil, we can produce something that um, has a value that people can, uh, that can, that people need to sustain society. Um, that's pretty, you know, that gives me a lot of pride to think that, that I'm involved in that sort of, that, 
that part, that first initial primary production of food itself. Um, but on top of that now, we've got so many layers. I mean, you per- talked about pleasure food. Um, there's food to sustain us. There's food just because you have to have it, otherwise we die. Uh, and then we're overlapping that. We've got environmental concerns. We've got social licence concerns. We've got animal welfare and all those sorts of things that are now, you know, relatively new to the complexities of what we have to involve ourselves in. Absolutely. I think it's there is complexities, but then I think as you're talking, you're creating a product from resources. and But then on top of that too, like you're creating something which has passion and, and I still don't actually think we've, we've really kind of landed on what you're creating has this immense passion, but it's, it's not just about kind of fulfilling what Tom's doing. It's about feeding people healthy food. It's about sequestering carbon on, on your farm. And there's this story of it's like, well, what actually does it like what's making you tick? Um, I I think that, maybe it doesn't have the monetary value of what the, the end product or, or the end animal is that you're producing. But um, now I think what's come out of the last couple of years is this need for connection and, um, and just kind of feel good stories. And I think agriculture is full of them. And, and I think that's a, an area which I'm pretty excited to play in. So how much do you think of the environmental perceptions of ag? Because I, you know, personally, whether I'm right or wrong, I, I believe that the um, environmental um, social, the society's average environmental perception about beef production, for instance, is way skewed toward um, the um, uh, the negative environmental effect rather than the positive. Do we get that sort of connection? Are you talking about, um, you know, humans of ag are old? Is that to connect people up more so that those um, perhaps that holistic knowledge that farmers know about the environment and their interaction with it can be better understood. I think it's an interesting one, Tom, because, well, I think that the debates that we're having in Australia now, the, the thing that is the most vocal piece in the meat industry is this alternative proteins versus red meat labelling, mm-hmm. et cetera. Is it, is it going to overtake red meat? I'd say no. I'd say at the end of the day it's all proteins, it's all feeding people. Where, yep. where the red meat industry has missed the boat, it was actually 10 years ago, and I don't believe the red meat industry has still learned. Um, 10 years ago, people like Stuart Austin of Wilmot Cattle Company, you guys have been sequestering carbon. People started doing practices 10 years ago to start to trade if it's carbon in the soil today. But it's 10 years of hard work. It's 10 years of science. It's 10 years of data, which is actually about creating a healthier ecosystem, healthier animals, healthier planet. The red meat industry is still not talking like that. And and in terms of a marketing story, look, try and create something that's more powerful than that story which started 10 years ago, except today what's making the news about the red meat industry is a bunch of, I'm going to say predominantly blokes, but a, a bunch of people are sitting in or on Zoom meetings but sitting there discussing at a Senate that the biggest threat to us is um, this labelling thing. Well, wh- why don't we actually start looking at well, what the alternative proteins businesses are doing incredibly well is talking with a consumer. They're not talking at them and they're not just pushing facts at them. Like red meat, the red meat industry is full of that. Agriculture is full of those stories, um, but we haven't woken up to it yet. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, but um, there are some, and I'm probably going to go back and, and poke the facts back at you, just like you've accused um, the meat industry of doing. You know, if we're going to solve climate change, we need to define the solution. And, and if we get confused 
um, as to what the confusion, the, the solution is by particular um, group ideologies that, you know, um, press themselves on um, something that, you know, they demonise beef by continually uh, manifesting its, its environmental damage. I'm not sort of getting this explained right, but um, let me say that I think that beef needs to be accountable and responsible for its environmental impact. I've got to put that first. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there are huge components of what, we, what beef gets accused of that aren't correct, and I think they need to be addressed as well so that we're not solving a problem that actually doesn't exist and putting valuable resource into things. And how you have that conversation because, you know, as a farmer, we've, you know, we've seen the water use of livestock be retracted from, you know, 50,000 uh, litres per kilogram back to something like seven or eight. Um, you know, we've seen um, a better understanding now of um, uh, the utilisation or the conversion ratio of beef compared to fish and chickens. Um, and so, and now we're seeing, uh, we're going to see a better rationalisation of what the effect of methane uh, um, and, and the damage that it's causing to the environment. And But um, at the moment, we're not getting, we're getting this sort of really irrational sort of truth that's coming up. We're, where do we? Where do you? Where do you sit? Where does your generation sit? And perhaps uh, in the responsibility of making sure that somehow we can all come together and have a good conversation about it and work out where the actual truth is. I think, yeah, the, the last part of your question there is probably a, a key component of it, and that's where where are we having these conversations? I, I think what we see as an industry, and we'll, we'll release a report, and it's um, either a landmark report in terms of the negative impacts or a landmark report in terms of yeah. creating the, the greater understanding. Absolutely, yeah. But at, yeah. at no stage Absolutely. are we having the dialogue. And I think that's nah. where we start. We start with engaging people. We start with discussing these things. And I actually think we need to have some really robust conversations about it, but stop and listen as well. What are the concerns of the other group, whether it's a minority group or not? Because yeah, I think if we can start to understand where they're coming from, start to, build a bit of a common understanding of you know, what are their concerns and how do we address them? Then we can start to come to, to working towards a solution, but yeah. it's not just dropping facts on people. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the mayor of New York last year said that um, meatless Monday was, was um, going to, re- is equivalent to you not driving your car for six months for each individual that has, doesn't eat meat on Monday. It's the equivalent of not driving their car for six months. And that's just, Absolutely not true. Anyway, um, you're at Auctions Plus now, and Auctions Plus is, um, God, it's had a big year. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I think the, I've only been with the business since March of this year, but it's been a huge couple of years. This kind of, this past week, we had more than 100 auctions running on the platform. So, yeah, we were a team of 30, I think, at the beginning of 2020. We're touching on a team of 60. Um, Yeah, well, I think just, Ag's booming at the moment, and, and we're seeing that filter through um, our businesses. And I guess us as a, a digital solution as part of that, it has been a, um, a, I suppose, a recipient or yeah, one of the lucky outcomes of COVID. Um, but I also yeah, think it's a it's definitely. a sign of the times. Well, I think it's you know one of the COVID 
uh, we've known that Auctions Plus is there and everyone has understood the logic of using it. But culturally, you know, people were stuck in their traditional rut and, um, you know, still just sending things to the sale yard and perhaps um, doing it the conventional way. COVID's forced the hand in this case and it's going to leave us with a cultural change in the way people transact their, their products on the land. It's um, phenomenal, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing which we, we did see through COVID was that uh, I guess some buyers were able to get to sale yards, but then other buyers couldn't get there. And so naturally as a, as a seller, you want as many buyers bidding on your products as you can. Um, going yeah. online kind of made natural sense. But then for those people looking to restock uh, off the back of that, the most recent drought of 2019 uh, and then the fires and floods that rolled through kind of subsequently to that, um, people were looking further afield because the, there was just so much competition in the market. Mm. And, you know, again, coming back on to what I was talking about before with the, the youth theme in ag at the moment, um, I saw your office, up, you know, your, your, um, auctions plus functioning up at, uh, at Beef um, at Rocky. And, um, my God, it's a young office. It is. Yeah. It's just uh, unbelievable. You go, you go past and, um, you know, and, and, and Angus Street himself is, you know, not a, a conventional sort of old-fashioned um, CEO age, is he? No, I think Angus is still in his, um, still in his 30s, so I think yep. he'll hold on to that for a little while. But, yeah, <laughs> I guess our business, we are, we're definitely north of 50%, probably closer to 60% um, women in our business. Uh, we've probably got an average age of... It would be in the 20s, I think. We've got now 20 market operators, all, a lot of them kind of doing their first job post-uni. Uh, we've got a, yep. a software team of about 10 or yeah, 15-odd people. But, um, yeah, we're, we're – I guess – I won't even say we're a business of the future. This is where agriculture is today, isn't it? It's um, There's, yeah, incredible people, young people coming in who are looking to build their careers and, and go about it. And I guess we're the fortunate – recipients of that at the moment that we do have a, a young and diverse team and I think our office eight or more different cultural backgrounds as well which is it's pretty cool environment yeah. to be in and so does auctions plus need a uh, equal and powerful competitor I'm not sure I can comment on that Tom. I, I'm not sure no well, I, I mean um, you know for its benefit and for the industry's benefit would that be a good thing if you had um you know, someone to keep you on your toes. <laughs> I, I think in terms of total volume of, of that's going I think you do going, a good job. Don't worry. I don't think there's any, I can't, I'm not saying this question because I think there's cracks or there's reasons why you would, but um, it does seem to me that sometime, some stage it probably would, the industry would benefit from the, for them to be two auctions classes. Well, with each other. I was just trying to think of an example, but I guess in Australia, normally it's, um, it is the duopolies which seem to compete, the, whether it's the supermarkets. Um, but f for us, I think, like, the, the sale yards still have significant volumes going through them. So yeah. in terms of, yeah, I think a lot of people are still choosing to sell through yards. Other farmers are still going direct. So, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see, watch the space and, and see who emerges. Um, yeah, I think you look yeah. at where technology is and platforms, um, there are competitors which are growing and getting more active in the space. So. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so um, our business has used um, 
Auctions Plus since the calm days, um, computer-aided livestock marketing, um, which, um, you know, was not quite pre-mobile phone, but it was definitely a stage where not everyone had, had a mobile phone. Um, and we didn't definitely didn't have mobile phone coverage where we were trying to sell cattle, and we used to have we had four telephone lines installed so that we could run auctions plus plus other um, you know for the agents and things. But calm, calm um, was you know functioning way back then, but it was it struggled along for a long time, um, being supported by elders and Dalgettys or. Um, Probably Dalgettys at the time, yeah. Well, I, th- I think probably what many people may not have known about Auctions Plus is, yeah, we, as you're saying, we began back in 1987. And so our history goes back pre-internet. And the fir- it was all about marketing livestock digitally, mm-hmm. I guess. Or, yeah, um, can't say online because it didn't exist. And then the internet rolled through. But really, I think, yeah, it was up until probably the 2010s we were, we were ticking along um, at that stage owned by landmark rural co and and elders and then more recently now um nutrient and elders uh but yeah i think I, I think we started to see a real tick um in the business in 2015 and then yeah the we, we started to see growth kind of from then and then um that that growth and i guess diversification for us has really come in the last couple of years as we've looked at um expanding so we're still selling livestock that's um the core part of our business. And then we've got property and machinery now coming online as well. So we're really trying to position ourselves as that platform where the ag community can trade, share and collaborate. Mm. And of course, uh, eBay won't um, sell any livestock products. They won't sell. <laughs> so that, you don't have to worry about them. No, we don't. No, not at this yeah. stage. There has been yeah. some people calling through uh, who have been selling on, on Gumtree and the likes, but I think, Probably what what sets us apart is it's that making sure that every animal that's put on our platform is assessed and it comes yes of course yeah. to, to our business integrity is fundamental to to us and making sure that both buyers and sellers have the confidence through using us and that comes through using the agents um, as yeah. part of that. So um, yeah, I know I've got a story of a friend of mine who um, their family decided to buy some sheep. They go in and out of trading sheep and they. They decided to buy some sheep, and my mate went to um, Auctions Plus. This would have been about 10 years ago, and um, bought the sheep, and uh, they were being unloaded. And his father came over and said, so where would you get these sheep? And he goes, oh, they came from Daniloquin. I said, you haven't been up to Daniloquin? And he said, no, no, I bought them on Auctions Plus. And his father just couldn't believe that he had been so naive not to go and look at the sheep. <laughs> and then he, looked, he took one look at the sheep. And he said, son, you'll have to show me how that thing works. It's a pretty powerful, you know? pretty powerful story. Yeah. yeah. We, um, we had a, there's a little um, pre-COVID, pre the lockdown in Sydney, there was a bit of an ag tech, or sorry, just an ag community made up in Sydney. And um, Emma, who's working at AgriDigital, she uh, spoke about auction. She just, yeah, one of the guys from our team was chatting about kind of his ag career and Emma said, oh, my granddad, Auctions Plus is his favourite TV show. He just sits there and watches yeah. it. <laughs> I think it's, um, yeah. it's pretty cool to hear stories like that. Yeah. No, um, and I suppose they're the little examples. It's the shove you need, isn't it? It's the, and, and each time one of those happens, um, there's a positive experience 
you just got to limit the negative ones, don't you? Because, you know, we know in our business of selling bulls, if you muck it up, 33 people find out about it. And if you, but if you do it well, three people find out about it. So, you know, you just got to make sure that you've got um, well more than 11 times positive issue, positive experiences and negative ones. And I think that comes back to how you, how you deal with it as well. I think vast majority of people um, everywhere are, are, are fantastic to deal with. And when an issue does come up, it's yeah. Acknowledging that something yeah. happens. We've got an integrity team, which uh, is absolutely incredible with how they deal with um, yeah disputes or, or challenges when they arise. And I think it's just, yeah, being, making sure that we deal with it and deal, deal with it in a way that's fair. And um, at the end of the day, I think that's all we can really do is be upfront with our customers and, keep providing that level of service. Yeah, no, that's right. And, um, you know, even if they're having a bad day and they um, blame you for the whole thing, you know, what, even someone who's having a bad day but they're relative, you know, they're still good people, yeah. they will acknowledge that they've had a bad day and probably even send you an email to say, look, oh, sorry about that, perhaps. Yeah, you know? or, or it's the thing that you end up laughing about when they're like, geez, I'm embarrassed about it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um, Ollie, you were a finalist in the Xander McDonald Award this year. And um, how'd you find all that? Yeah, it was an interesting experience to go through. I'd be lying if I said um, when I came in, I I guess reading about Xander and the impact he had of trying to bring people into the industry, I started to think there was um, quite a few similarities between what obviously Xander achieved has achieved a lot more in his time than what I have so far. But um, yeah, I think I I was incredibly humbled to be alongside Rosie, Tim and Hugh and, and I think get that far. I I think it's an, it's an award which still doesn't quite have the exposure in in the industry of of what it deserves and the kind of caliber of people that are coming together as part of it. But even being a finalist, what we got in orange over those few days of, yeah, sitting down or I think, first and foremost, getting to know the judges and the sponsors um, and the other finalists was fantastic. And then we actually got some real skills. So the media training, uh, we went out to um, Spark Labs. It was fascinating to just see just the different areas which Jono was working with, not just in Australia, but the different, I guess, technologies and startups that are coming from overseas and looking at Aussie Ag as a, as a really good opportunity to build businesses and have an impact. And then I think what was quite cool was that, Shannon and Emma had actually been through the Spark Labs program, yeah. and so you, with, with yeah, Box. so we got yeah. to got to start to see, yeah, what what that enabled for them, and then I think you start to look at the tra- the trajectory that they've been on for the last few months, and um, it, it, obviously that program has opened up doors for them, and those girls can just create opportunities. I'm not sure how they fit it in. Yeah, well, look, I think um, a little bit the Xander finalists just during the COVID year wasn't so easy because of, you know, not being able to go to the PPP and meet all the PPP members, which was a bit unfortunate. But anyway, uh, it's a it's a great um, uh, award and anyone who's under the age of 35 should, and um, has Xander-like qualities and wants to get involved in um, being, in, being um, in the award, by all means, um, look up for next year. I think that's all closed now. Yeah, well, um, hopefully well, the... This, we'll see some finalists announced. This, this, this podcast not very time specific anyway, so by the time we <laughs> – so, um, no, that's good. 
we had a little bit. I had a bit of a rant about the environment before, and I've sort of calmed down. <laughs> but um, uh, my father was an environmentalist. Uh, you know, a sort of a uh, a capitalistic environmentalist, if you know, know what I mean, and so am I. You know, um, I, I really believe that we need to look after the environment and we need to halt climate change, And but we also need to do it well. We need to actually get to the core problem. So what are your thoughts about climate and agriculture? You know, what bits are – we see, um, you know, there's things that – what New Zealand, Jacinta Ardern's you know, bar- going to ban Australia's nuclear submarines from their ports, but um, you know, behind the scenes in New Zealand, the, the, there's a lot of nitrates going into the rivers and things. They don't, you know, there's all this contradiction all the time because of um, a lack of communication. The discussion that's we're mm. talking about. I think it starts off too. Look, with any of these conversations, it's not a one-dimensional here's the problem and here's the solution. There's always trade-offs as as part of it. I think when it comes to climate change, you've just got to look at um, where the interests are in in business. I think the money is starting to move in those areas, whether it's, um, yeah, the the carbon markets, you look at the investments, you look at all these big organisations and then even the industry bodies within agriculture, they're all talking about these carbon neutrality targets, um, I think, yeah, it's basically a non-negotiable that businesses are moving that way. I guess, yeah. Well, that's that's something that I never predicted too. I would have thought, you know, when the carbon debate, was, when the climate debate was starting to get going, that it would have been driven by consumers. But now it is really, really being driven by investors, which I just didn't predict that. I just, um, the fact that investors are wanting ag, to be involved in ag companies that are addressing climate change issues is just um, amazing because it, it's such a faster mechanism than the consumer pull. Um, investor push is so much more powerful. Absolutely. I think it was Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, a couple of years ago in his letter to um, all the leading businesses, basically, was that, yeah, there was, a, there was an expectation and an accountability on businesses that they needed to start reporting on how they would continue and, and what risk climate and the climate variabilities would have on their bottom line. And they needed to, from a, um, a governance perspective, had to have that noted um, as part of it. So that was only a couple of years ago. It's um, I guess, yeah, we, we talk about consumers voting with their dollar, but I think it comes back to an, an awareness piece of what are, what are people actually aware of and are we giving it to them in a way that they can understand? I think, the world's full of contradictions at the moment, but uh, it, it's really good to see businesses moving this way. And I think, um, yeah, we, we yeah. are. You know, a, a similar things just happened with COVID too, which, you know, the government couldn't really mandate COVID vaccine, um, but the government business council is now starting to lobby businesses to mandate that uh, businesses uh, enforce COVID vaccine which that's just, you know, the, the similar sort of thing, you know, that we're, um, um, you know, the monster of the free, free uh, enterprise monster is um, actually doing its socially responsible thing and doing it well, which is pretty exciting. I think it, it, it's a really interesting thing at COVID and something of, uh, I guess I've really love to ask people on the podcast, are we, are we going to see businesses change and this mindset of management change? 
I, I, it's still something I really grapple with. These these people who are in positions of management who have made losses over the last few years, and I guess this is at a global level, are they looking at how they regrow their bonuses over the next 10 years before retirement or are they really looking at creating a, a better future? Because I think fundamentally the world stopped in the last couple of years. We've had the biggest wake-up that we could have had and it's, and it's off the yeah. back of nature and how we interact and, and our ultimately our food system, are we going to change? And I think that's something which I think we can only yeah, wait and see, but I, I, God, I hope we're not so naive to go back to how we were and that arrogance of just, yeah, just the, the measure of business being on how, how they grow financially. Yeah. So I suppose that's been the problem ever since the start of, uh, human evolution, though, really, and is it is it an innate fact in us that we cannot control um, unless you know we implement raw Marxism? Perhaps it's the only way. I'm not sure, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting deep now. <laughs> so where to from now with um, humans of act? So I think what I've what I've been really lucky to do over the last couple of years, I think, is tell the stories and build an audience base and interact with all kinds of people. I think. Probably the the biggest satisfaction I get out of humans of agriculture is um, when someone shares their story and then, yeah, we'll, we'll put it up on our socials and whatnot. Then the person will share it and some every now and then I'll go and scroll through that person's feed and have a look at what the comments are. Just the amount of positivity that comes off the back of it. And then I think the follow-up is I feel like what started off as trying to bridge this disconnect that exists between consumers and agriculture actually it was at this stage it's more about empowering people in agriculture and giving them a bit of confidence with their own story kind of equipping them with their own story and it's literally just coming along for a chat with them where to next um i've got a few ideas i i think it's it's kind of talking about business and stuff Uh, i guess we're seeing a lot of businesses with purpose um have profound impact i think Mm -hmm. in terms of how we portray agriculture, how we talk about ourselves, how we do it. I think um, Humans of Agriculture is able to do that in a fairly innovative, um, authentic and kind of fun way. And that's something which I think has a lot of value to the industry. And we're starting to have more conversations with different businesses and and people of, yeah, how, how Humans of Agriculture can kind of help them share their story. So, yeah, I guess it's it's been a lot of a lot of time over the last two years um, before work, after work, on weekends, nutting out. The question I always had was if I, if I was to do this um, and so I could do it full time and really have the impact we want to do, how do you make money from it um, in order to be able to sustain it um, while doing good? And I think the it's starting to get clearer, but it, it always started off as I'm never going to sell myself where someone can just come and pay and have their story put in because they're the highest bidder. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, said about that I just wanted to start talking to people and creating stories and sharing what was happening throughout agriculture, celebrating the industry for what it is uh, and doing it kind of my way and hoping that one day businesses and people would see value in that. And, and I think we're starting to get there and, and hopefully that continues and who knows what the, the future will hold. Yeah, look, I think that point that you said about, you know, don't receive uh, the dollar for an interview, that's absolutely crucial. Um, And, you know, um, 
stick to it because that'll work better than receiving the odd payment for an interview. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I wouldn't be true to myself. I, I say, uh, no, it's not right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so what about we've got to move into your mistakes and um, masterpieces and mentors. Ollie, who, what are your mistakes that you've I'm made? Glad we started on so far. You're you're still you're still in the mistake phase a bit of your life. Yeah, and I, th- I think you I'm still st- making them regularly. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad we started with this one. I, I think yeah. If I if I look at what I've done so far in my career, I'm definitely not one person to look back and be and dwell on things. Which I think when I when I'd listen to your podcast, I was like, geez, I'm gonna have to come up with something here. In terms of the mistakes I've made, I think it's actually that one, I've never really been settled. I've always been that person who I, I want the excitement. I want things moving. I want to be working on the exciting projects. So I'm trying to go flat out and always trace, chase that nearly adrenaline. Um, so I'm, I guess I haven't really settled myself in terms of um, establishing myself in a business or, or a career. I think it's potentially a mistake, but then I think on the flip side, it might be one of my masterpieces, but I think that probably the other mistake I've, I've made, Tom, is um, is actually not taking that time to celebrate those wins. So things like the Xana Mac- McDonald Award, I didn't really take the time to, uh, yeah, soak in just the enormity of being a finalist as part of that. Um, different things through Humans of Agriculture, where we hit a milestone, it's like, oh, great. Yeah, we, we got a partner on board who's now helping out. I, I didn't stop and, yeah. and celebrate it. I kind of just... I'm like, awesome, righto. That's that. That's we'll tick that box and let's keep going. And so I think um, I've had some pretty honest conversations with um, some mentors and people around me, and they're 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 making me start to look at yeah who Ollie is and start to answer those questions and and actually start to self reflect and I think actually um, be proud for for what I'm doing um, and, and take time to kind of relish in it a little bit. Yeah. No, that's good. The fun is in the journey for me too, though. I'm a bit the same as that. Get to the end point and you go, well, let's get on another trip. Yeah. Because that's the fun bit rather than the actual conclusion. But, yeah, what masterpieces do you have? Obviously, humans of, uh, humans of ag would have to be one. Yeah. I think, that, that, yeah, that would be probably my masterpiece, I think. Humans of agriculture. I think I'm, um, I'm incredibly proud of, yeah, what I've been able to build. Uh, over the last couple of years, I think staying pretty true to who I am and, and going, well, I actually see, I see value in this for the industry because one, it's exposing people to new areas. And, and that's even something, having a conversation with someone up North today uh, who might be a podcast guest coming up, but I'm, I'm opening the industry up to people. And uh, during last week, I, I chatted with a, a couple of year 10 classes at one of the Sydney schools and I think we're starting to expose the industry to people in a way where they can, it's not about reading it in a magazine. It's not about seeing something fabricated on TV. It's yeah. Talking to listening into Ollie talk with Tom Gubbins or Ollie talk with you and McCash, the oyster farmer and starting to paint the picture of you don't have to be a farmer to be in agriculture. You can be in marketing. You can work in, in food waste. You can work as a chef, but if you're passionate about what you're doing and it's having a positive influence through food um then i see yourself as a human of agriculture and i think uh, yeah, I, I guess we're, we're trying to redefine how we see agriculture and doing that one person at a time 
Yeah. So anyone listening to the Raw Egg podcast and listening to this, make sure on your next trip or next time in the car or next time you pull on a podcast, um, humans of agriculture would be another great um, choice. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> so what about uh, your mentors? Mentors is a is something, yeah, I think I'd always had people who I'd bounced ideas off. Um, dad was always, dad's always kind of been one, but probably in the last few years, dad's really come in uh, as a, as a real mentor. I think dad was a pretty business, uh, busy businessman kind of throughout childhood and um, providing opportunities for us. Uh, he's now retired in the last couple of years and has his own little hobby farm. Um, I won't say I always listen to his advice as well as what I should have, uh, as what, I, as what I should, but um, I love chatting to my dad and, and talking about humans of agriculture and my career. And yeah, I think that's something pretty special. Um, but last year I had the chance to get involved in some formal mentoring with a guy called Tim Collins. Um, Tim was, a yeah, kind of straight out of school was involved in the military and then, um, through then came into agriculture, had worked in a bunch of different roles, is now heading up Waymere over in the WA, the Meat Industry Association, I think it is, uh, in the West. Um, and that formal mentoring has been fundamental to sh- shifting how I think and how I approach kind of everything from work but personal life. So, yeah, I think for me the biggest thing I've had was finding a um, a mentor who's there during the good, bad, uh, the good, bad and the times where you're just curious about something and and having someone to talk to whereas i think previously to that i was using mentors where i just felt like i was in a little bit of a crisis or i needed a quick answer um yeah it's been transformative for me well thank you very much uh ali Lalif, for being on the raw rag podcast and um i think you're going to be a bit of a champion so um keep an eye on ali Lalif, one of the very intelligent, up-and-coming Australian agriculturalists. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks, Tom. It's been awesome to be here. If you're enjoying the Raw Ag podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app. 